0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people, learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city.
1: To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, we Thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to sit and hear it read, to hear it expound upon. Lord, I pray that you would use that to change our hearts, Lord, that we would go back into the world different than we've come in here today, Lord, that we would grow in you and that we would see things differently, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.
0: This church in Philadelphia, they were caught between two powers, two authorities, where they had very little power in their city, And it was like they were kind of tugged between these two different ways of life. On one hand, you had the Roman Empire, right? And the Roman Empire is believing that Caesar himself is God. You can believe all other gods. You can worship all kinds of other gods. That's fine as long as you bow down ultimately to Caesar And it was a Greco-Roman empire, which means the Greeks were in charge and the Romans came in and kind of took over, but they adopted a lot of the Greek ways. And so they're in an area, in a city, which is modern day Turkey, really close to Greece. And so you have a lot of Greek people there as well. And in the Greek school of thought, you have this whole pantheon of gods, a whole lot of different multiple gods that you would serve. And so this is happening on one side over here, and they're being called to just come and live this way. And if not, there's going to be some problems. So then you would think then, these people, many of them being Greeks themselves, many of them Roman citizens, come to this faith of who Jesus is. And they want to go, how do we learn about more about this Jesus, this Jewish rabbi who came from and is one with Yahweh, the God of these Israelites? but is really the one and true God over all the earth. Well, where do you go? You go to the synagogue, right? The Jewish synagogue, then to learn from the Jewish people more about this faith. And yet when they would go there, they were being ostracized. They were being oppressed by the Jews because they were following after this Jesus. And so you have these two authorities, these two positions of power And then you have this little, ragtag, struggling, small group. I think it's no coincidence, but this is like the smallest turnout we've had ever when we're talking about Philadelphia. Tiny, tiny church. Tiny group of believers. And Jesus comes to them and just says, hold on. Hold on. It's not going to be like this forever. As we've talked about going through these seven letters There's a format to all of them, right? It starts with Jesus first introducing himself. This is who I am. Then he usually will get to some type of, here's what you're doing well. I see you're doing this well, right? So an introduction of Christ, uh, a commendment of how you're doing well. Then he gets to some kind of confrontation, some issue that he has with how that church is living, right? And then he ends to a call to action with a promise of a reward, And we talked about how a couple of these break that mold. Uh, For example, Laodicea, which we're going to get to next week, they get no commendation. Jesus says nothing about what they're doing well. He comes at them pretty harshly, actually. It's a good one for us to end on right before going into Easter. But there are also two others, Smyrna, which was the second week we got into, and today, Philadelphia, where he has nothing bad to say against them. is nothing against them. And the contrast of this church and last week when we were looking at a church that was like, man, you got this reputation for being awake and alive and just full of life. Do you remember that? You have this reputation of being alive. You have a name for yourselves of being alive was the last church we read about. But I know you're really dead, the church in Sardis. And now you come to this little church in Philadelphia that no one's really paying attention to. And the city around them is almost like swallowing them up whole. And Jesus has nothing against them and only promises of how they, if they hold on, that they will receive a great reward at the end. That's good news. It's good news for us even though we don't live in a similar city like Philadelphia, and I'm not talking about where the Eagles play, where the cheesesteaks rain, this is a much different city, and we don't live in, in anything like that, but at the same time, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus had words for a small group of people trying to be faithful to the ways of Jesus when there's a culture around them trying to swallow them up whole? There's a culture around them kind of playing tug of war and trying to get you to come over to this side and believe this way of life and follow these things and vote this way. And then there's another group saying, no, 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 come over here. This is the right way. And if you're anything else, both sides will attack you. Wouldn't it be good if Jesus had some words for a group like that? And church, I think those words have something for us, don't they? But first, a little bit about Philadelphia. Uh, If you know that word, Philadelphia, it actually means in the Greek, brotherly love. And so this is called, uh, our Philadelphia in the U.S. now is often referred to as the city of brotherly love. And the reason why it was named that was there's actually a Greek king who started this city. It was actually, I believe he was from Sardis, one of these other cities where we read about a letter to a church there. And he started it along with his brother, and in honor of his brother, they named it Philadelphia, brotherly love. Uh, It really has nothing to do. (laughs) with the context of where they're living, but that's where the name comes from. And where they're living, it's next to this kind of rocky terrain, but also on fault lines. So there are earthquakes that would take place in Philadelphia. And in fact, the city itself had to be evacuated twice during this time of history. Like The whole city evacuated. Like if California finally hit the big one, and you think too many Californians are coming over now, like. They would all be coming over here then, right? That's what happened. They had to go to these other cities. They were completely displaced from where they found home. And then eventually, the king would give them kind of a grant to go back and rebuild, and so they would go back into their homes. So that's the context. Like, these people are already struggling. They already have lost everything that they own. They already have gone through some pretty uh, deep hardships and turmoil, and Now, because they are believing that there's a new way of life, that there's this, this Jesus really is who he claimed he is. Because they're believing the good news of the gospel, now their own friends and their own family are against them. And so Jesus says, remember we said his introduction to each of them is fitting for what each of them are facing, right? So Jesus says to them, these are the words of the Holy One, the true one, verse seven. The Holy One and the true one. You are being divided between two different camps. Listen to the one. The one who actually has truth in life for you. The one who has authority over all of creation. Because you, you church in Philadelphia don't have much power and these people in power are oppressing you for what you believe. But Jesus is reminding them, no, I am the one who has all power and all authority. You are with the right one. And he says, the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one opens. Now that sounds like weird imagery, right? Right? What what is this? What's this key of David? Is this a metaphor? What is he talking about? And what does he mean when he says he's going to close things and no one can open? He's going to open things no one can close. Remember what we said is sometimes weird things in Revelation, we got to remember we're reading someone else's mail and it's actually rooted in something they would have known from the history of the people of God. So turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to read in chapter 22. And we're gonna pick up in verse 20. But first to give you some context of what's going on in Isaiah here. Isaiah, who was a prophet to the people of Israel, when God's people Israel were really failing to live to their calling, God had given them, to be a people who share the good news of Yahweh to the nations around them, right? To be a light to the nations, to be a royal priesthood. And so God would send these prophets because Israel was failing miserably at that to go and warn them, hey, if you don't turn back, here's what's coming. And the book of Isaiah is full of these prophetic sayings of here's what's going to happen to nations and kingdoms. And rarely, if ever, except for this case, does it get to specific people. But in this moment, Isaiah has words from God for two specific people. A guy named Shebna, no one's naming their kids that these days. Uh, And then another guy, Hilkiah, and so here's the, here's the situation. Uh, the king at the moment is Hezekiah. He's a good king, actually. But Shebna is one of his kind of royal authorities. He's one of his advisors. Many early scholars believe he was actually became the treasurer. And he was known to, what, what they believe is that he carried the key to the city on his shoulder. Now, keys aren't like these little things we have on, a, on our belt loop, right? Or you just stick in your purse or whatever. Back then, these were huge, long pieces of metal. And what you would do is you'd actually stick your hand through a hole in a door and then rest the little key into, or not the little key, the giant key, into this mechanism, and then the key becomes a handle, and you can open it. Uh, And so he had the key to the city gates, determining who would come in and who would stay out. And he was a wicked man. He was a prideful man, and he was leading Israel to do a lot of bad things, even under the reign of a good king. So God has some words for him, but then he says this, picking up in verse 20, after he has these words against Shebna, then he says, on that day, he's talking about the day that he removes Shebna from his position, I will call for my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe, Shebna, and tie your sash around him. I will hand your authority over to him. And he will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. Does that sound familiar? That's a direct quote. Jesus is saying now about himself in this letter in Revelation to this church in Philadelphia. What Jesus is saying is, there is an authority in your city who is prideful and arrogant and leading people astray. And they think that they hold the key. They think that they are running the show. But I will remove them. And I actually hold the key to the city on my shoulder. And I can open doors that no one else can close. And I can close doors that nobody else can open. All the authority of the kingdom has been given to Jesus, he's saying. He's reminding them and he's encouraging them, don't fear what the Greeks and the Romans or the Jews can do to you. Don't fear what they say to you. Don't fear how they are running and ruling things. Jesus is the holy one. Jesus is the true one. Jesus is the one who holds the key to the kingdom of God. And he is the one who determines when that door opens and when that door closes. So this is, this is not just random, weird imagery, like this weird vision that John gets. This is rooted in the story of who God is and what he's been doing all throughout history. That all throughout history, he has called humans to come and rule alongside him to partner with him in reigning over his good creation. And yet all throughout history, humans in our sin, we have rebelled against that and we've tried to take the reins ourselves. And when that happens, when that happens, it causes destruction, it causes damage and people get caught up in the middle of it. But yet all throughout history, God has been coming to do away with those evil authorities, with the selfish and rebellious authorities, to put them in their place, and to make a way for those who look to Jesus as the true king to find life and hope and good news. Jesus is meeting them where they're at, and he's saying, I know. Remember, that's been the reoccurring thing through all these letters. Jesus says those words, I know. I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. And I'm here with you. Now, that's all cool. That's great. It's good. And I feel like we could stop there because that really is the thrust of this message. But I do want to tackle a few things because there's some weird things that pop up for us anyway in the rest of this letter to Philadelphia that sometimes lead to some weird theology, right? To a different understanding of the story of the Bible. And so I I just want to look at some of those real quick because I think that matters. And it matters with how we perceive the rest of this message he has to this church. So he says this, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. But you have, but because you have little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Again, he's just encouraging them. Don't worry what they can do to you. I am bringing you into the kingdom. No one can shut that door on you. He says, "Note this: I will make those from the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying." I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. And so that's where some questions come in, of like, what is that? What is a synagogue of Satan? Remember we said when someone who came to this faith of this Jewish rabbi who lived and died and rose again and claims to be the only way to life, then they go, where, how do I learn more about this? Well, you go to a Jewish synagogue, right? And when they were going there, they were being kicked out and sometimes they were being beaten and sent away. And so what Jesus is saying is, This is not a synagogue of Yahweh. This is not a temple to the holy one, the true one, to the holy God. This is a a synagogue of Satan. He calls them liars when they claim to be Jews, not because they're not uh, Jewish ethnicity, right? Not because that's not their heritage physically, but because he's saying they no longer have a part in the family of God because they have turned away from. That's what he means by that. So again, given this reassurance, don't worry what they can do over you, right? He says, because you have, verse 10, because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. This is where we start thinking of what, what? Go ahead and say it. What do we start thinking of when we hear that? Tribulation, rapture, yeah, right? Jesus says he's going to keep us from that hour of testing. That means he's going to pluck us out before things get really bad. Let me tell you, things are already bad, right? That, that actual language there, hour of testing, uh, it's not one hour specifically, it's just time, time of testing. Has there been times of trials and testing all over the whole earth? 100%, right? There have always been, <laughs> Uh, But there's also been specific times where things have gotten really bad over the whole earth. But Jesus is saying here, hey, I'm going to keep you from that, right? So that must mean there's something worse coming, that he's going to remove us, take us away, and keep us from having to experience that. Or maybe we're reading someone else's mail in a different language, Turn with me to John 17 now. John 17. This is Jesus's prayer before he is taken from the garden to go to the cross on our behalf. And Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of his friends who are there with him, but also he says for anyone else who would follow him afterward. And he says this, Let's skip to verse 11. He says, I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of Spirit. He's talking about Judas there, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. That word right there, keep, it might say protect in your translation, is the same exact word in Revelation 3 when he says, I will keep you from the hour of trials or the hour of testing. It's the same Greek word there, and what it means actually is guard and Protect. So not to pull you away from, but I believe this is better translated as, I will keep you safe. I will protect you. I will guard you. I will be with you and over you in those times of trials and testing. Verse 15 in John 17, real quick, jump down to that. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Do you hear that? We're meant to be a salt and a light in the world. Don't remove them. Don't go hide them away somewhere. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, Jesus' words, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is promising this church in Philadelphia, and I believe still for those who are with him today, that when we remain in him, as it says in John 15, he remains in us and he will keep us. He will protect us. He will guard us. And yes, there will be all kinds of trials around us. There will be all kinds of temptations around us, all kinds of testing around us. And there's gonna be a world around us that seems to have authority and seems to say, this is the way things should go. But we know the Holy One, the true one, the one who holds the key to the kingdom of God is with us and he protects us and he guards us. And we know this. Because Jesus doesn't just sit in a tower somewhere holding his key and looking down and saying, good luck, hold on, hold on until you can make it up here. But he's the one who came down to us. Turn with me real quick to Hebrews 12, and we'll finish here. Hebrews 12 is a call to endurance. Same thing that the church in Philadelphia needed to hear. The same thing I believe we need to hear. It says this, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, if you know the um, saying about Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter of the, the faith, right? The hall of faith, as some have called it. So it's listing off all these people throughout the history of God's people who have by faith walked in his ways, even though they were a royal mess at times too. Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, that means we have a, a, large, a large group of people who are regular people like you and I who made mistakes a lot, and yet they held on to this faith in our God. Then it says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Verse two, keeping, keeping, our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How can Jesus say to this group who is suffering intensely, hold on, endure? Because he himself knows what that means. Because Jesus, who holds the key of David, the key to the kingdom of God, the throne room of heaven, the one who opens doors no one else can shut and shuts doors no one else can open, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, he himself came down and he stepped into this mess of a world. And he took on the struggle that we have and he endured. He endured through his own friends and family, calling him crazy, and deserting him. And he endured through his own people that he came to save, mocking him and beating him. And he endured the pain of a torturous death. He endured the cross because of the joy set before him. And listen, we aren't going through the same things Philadelphia's going through, but church, we've had to, we've had crazy couple years, right? <laughs> it's, it's been a weird few years in America, in Phoenix, and for Missio Day. And we've even had some people who have been with us for a long time who we love dearly leave because we aren't giving into this way the world thinks we should live or this way this other power thinks we should live. But we're trying to say we're holding to what Jesus says. And it looks scary to people who have jumped in fully into either of those two camps. But we're trying to say, what is Jesus calling us to? There's this in-between third way. That's the way to life, the holy one, the true one. But we've suffered some loss through that, haven't we? And Jesus is saying, endure. The joy that is set before you. Jesus is coming. And he is going to open the door to the kingdom for those who follow him. And we will get to walk in and no one can shut it on our behalf. We get to walk in and we get to live and dwell with him in eternity. Now, listen, that's not just for us. Jesus sends these letters to all seven of those churches so that they too can hear the church in Sardis, the church in Laodicea, which he's got some harsh words to say to next week, so they too can hear, oh, wait a second. Maybe I can walk through that door. And I think that what we also need to hear is is not just to read ourselves into the struggling church of Philadelphia, but Lord, may we not be those other powers and authorities that were oppressing them. May we not be the people who try to shut doors that Jesus is opening. May we not be the people who say, this is who's in and this is who's out. Because we don't have that key. That key lies on the shoulder of Jesus and Jesus alone. Our job is not to decide who's in or who's out. Our job is simply to follow the holy and true one, Jesus. And to say to others, come and follow with me. Amen? Could we be that church by the grace of God, by the power of the spirit, and we're gonna mess it up just like that cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. But by God's grace, may he continue to bring us back on course.